0: the scripture then next slide there we go from romans the 15th chapter verses 20 through 28 and thus i make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where christ has already been named lest i build on someone else's foundation but as it is written those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand this is the reason why i have so often been hindered from coming to you But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this passage in Romans and the words of Paul directed by your Holy Spirit, to give us direction on our goals in ministry, our goals in life, our goals as a church. Father, as we look at the example that Paul set before us, let us mimic that. Let us try to mold ourselves into what Paul desired from his ministry, and through that that you may be glorified. And Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of you and be glorifying unto you, to your people, in Christ's name, amen. So last week we looked at this idea or notion of missions, and we looked at, one back, Brady, we looked at what Paul described as meaning missions. Paul's idea of missions wasn't to send somebody to the inner city of Chicago to preach the gospel. That was not his idea at all. His idea of mission was to go to where Christ's name had never been proclaimed. And we saw in that scripture that we just read that there were a lot of churches that he founded. There were churches in Macedonia and Achaia and Philippi. You name it, he founded many, many churches throughout that region. And yet he said, my work here is done. Now clearly there were tens of thousands of people that didn't know Jesus in every one of those areas. So there was more work to be done. But it wasn't Paul's idea of missionary work. Paul's idea of missionary work was to go to places where the gospel had never been preached. Where Jesus had never been named. And so what was to happen with those tens of thousands of people that were in Macedonia and Achaia and all those different places? Well, that was the church's responsibility. So we saw a a distinction between missions, frontier missions, if you will, and local type missions or local outreaches, if you will. So we have and see that there were two distinct obligations of the church. And we talked about that last week. Paul was a goer. I said there are three types of entities with respect to missionaries. There are goers, there are senders, and there are disobedient. Either you're a goer or you're a sender. So if we're staying, we should be sending. Otherwise, we fall into that dreaded third category of being disobedient. And we're going to see a little bit how Paul being the goer and then also references the church here as the senders we're going to see when we come to that so we as a local congregation are to encourage and help send and we're also to go out locally and share the gospel with everybody in a local way such as was the case with the churches in Macedonia and Achaia and all those that Paul helped start next slide Bear. He says, for this reason, I have been prevented from coming to you. Next one. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you. All right, so let's go back to the last slide there, verse 22, Brady. He says, Paul says, I have been prevented from coming to you. Meaning, he's wanting to go to Rome and he w- wants to go visit these people, but he's been prevented from doing it. What has prevented him from doing it? Well, actually, what has prevented him from doing it is back in verse 21 that I don't have for you. He's been prevented from doing it because of his missionary work, because of what he's been called to do. And so we see that that was the reason that he wanted to take the gospel to places that never heard of Jesus. There were no churches. There was no foundation, and he talks about, I'm not going to build on another man's foundation or someplace that I've already been. So that was the reason that he hadn't been able to go to Rome to visit these folks, but yet he had wanted to do that for a long time. Think about that for a moment. Paul is looking at his priorities. Now, the priority to go to Rome was a good priority. It was pure. There was nothing wrong with it at all but he saw an overarching need to present the gospel to places that didn't hear it. Rome was alive. It had no doubt been started by someone else. It was a flourishing church at the time. Paul wanted to go visit to help, to preach, to teach, to to see how the church was working. And that was a goal of his, but he knew that God had something more important for him to do. And that was to share the gospel with other regions that had not heard the gospel. He knew that the most important thing that he could do would be to continue on this missionary journey. To go to Rome would have been a sort of a luxury for him. A sort of a a vacation. And he didn't think that that was appropriate at the time that he was still carrying on his other missionary work. He was dedicated in every sense. Jump on to verse 24. Whenever I go to Spain, so this is the plan that he has coming up next. Whenever I go to Spain, he's going to visit them when he goes to Spain. I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he's writing to the Romans this great, magnificent letter. And we're, we're sort of in the doxology of sorts. I mean, he, he's almost ending it here. He's starting to wrap it up. We've just got one more chapter left. And so he's closing it, but he's saying, I wanted to come to you. I've been prevented from coming to you. And I'm going to go to Spain. And when I go to Spain, then I'm going to go to Spain via Rome. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to stay for a while. And we're going to get to share Jesus and talk about Jesus. And I'm going to enjoy your company for a while. Now, it's important to note that these journeys aren't a week long. These journeys are years long at times. So as he goes to Rome on his way to Spain, he would likely spend many weeks, if not months, there. Living in someone's house and preaching at the church and, and sharing what he knows about the gospel with them and what he knows about how to manage a church and all the things that he wrote to him about. So he will no doubt spend quite some time there with him. He wanted to make sure the church was operating as it as it should. So he's making plans to visit this church that he's writing to on his way to Spain. He believed that it was his obligation here, that it was the obligation of the Roman church to help in his missionary journey. So you see, he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you and to be helped on my way there by you. So hopefully, I'll stop in, we'll visit, we'll have a good time, we'll get to know each other, we'll share Christ, and you're going to help me. They're senders. Paul was a goer. He absolutely expected to be helped as he went forward on the way to Rome. There was not going to be any debate about it. That's just what churches are and were to do at that time, when it co- and today as well, when it came to missionary work. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. Now, most scholars agree that when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, where were he? Where was he? Anyone know? Where? No? No? He was at Corinth. He was at Corinth, so he had made his round and he was at Corinth and he was writing the Roman church. He desired to go to Rome and, and be with the folks there and he had plans to go to Spain to share Jesus with those folks yet we know that he's going to go all the way back to Jerusalem so he says here i've got this plan to come and see you on my way to rome but right now i'm in corinth and i'm going to go to jerusalem does anyone remember why he was going to jerusalem we looked at this when we studied the book of acts this was the last journey around that we looked at he he's going to go back to jerusalem ready go on to the next one verse 26 for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem does that ring a bell so on this last journey if you remember he's collecting an offering to take back to Jerusalem so let's look again at Paul's priorities He wants to go to Rome. He wants to visit these folks. But he thought his missionary work was more important than a visit to Rome. So he wanted to go to Spain. Yet, we're still not going to Spain here, are we? With the desire to go to Rome and the desire to go to Spain, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going 1,000 miles backwards. 1,000 miles. 2,000 mile round trip. He's not hitching a ride at the airport and flying a jet back to Jerusalem. This is not easy travel. This is foot, horseback, donkey, you name it. Boat with no motor. Tough traveling. It would have been the easiest for Paul to let somebody else take this offering back to Jerusalem and him go on to Rome and then go on to Spain. That was the easy way. For him to go back to Jerusalem, he's going to be making a 2,000-mile round-trip journey on foot. What is 2,000 miles? To the Gulf of Mexico and back, probably? Those of you that go to the beach in Alabama or the Panhandle, it's roughly a 1,000 miles, isn't it? So walking to the beach, and back. Probably further than that, but you're looking at 2,000 miles. And Paul's going to do that. He did it because he knew that the Christians in Jerusalem were starving. They were hungry. They needed help. So he rearranges all the priorities in his life. He knew that there were starving brothers and sisters at the church in Jerusalem, and in his mind, that took precedence over, oh, by the way, I'm going to stop by and see you all at Rome, and then I'm going to Spain. No. He rearranged everything in his life to look out for the folks that were in Jerusalem. Now, I suppose he could have sent the offering with someone else, no doubt, Barnabas or whoever was with him at the time he could have said here you take the offering I'm going this way I don't want to make that 2,000 mile round trip I'll save time and energy and possibly even his own life but you see I think that he believed that that was his responsibility that he was tasked with the duty of making sure the church in Jerusalem got the money or the offering, whatever it was. It was probably food involved because there was a great famine in Jerusalem at the time. I'm sure that he thought that that was on him. That was his responsibility. There was also a risk that if he delegated that, then it wouldn't make it back for whatever reason. And then if he delegated it and gave it to somebody else to take back... Anyone remember what nationality the the church in Jerusalem was? They were Jewish believers. They were Jewish believers in Jesus. What was the nationality of Macedonia and Achaia and Corinthian? What, What were they? They were all Gentiles. They were all Gentiles. So if you've got some unknown Gentile bringing an offering to a Jewish church or congregation you ran the risk of that Jewish church or congregation saying mm-hmm. how much did you pilfer for off the top there wasn't a lot of trust between these two groups of people Paul was the perfect bridge because he was a Jew they would trust him the Gentiles trusted him the Jews trusted him so it had to be him to take that money back to the Jewish church say Jewish church, it was a true Jewish church, in Jerusalem. They would trust him, as opposed to the Gentiles that would be bringing it back And whenever they had a long history of not trusting each other, of not getting along. Furthermore, Paul knew that if whenever he took that money back or that offering back, that this would go a long way in bringing unity between the two groups of peoples they didn't get along we saw that i think it's acts 15 whenever the jewish christians wanted to make the gentile christians be circumcised in order to be saved top of paul's head blew off when he heard that right so they had a jerusalem council and they all met and they're like no you don't have to be circumcised to be saved But we do ask that the Gentiles abstain from eating food sacrificed to idols, um, strangled animals, and sexual immorality. So there was always that tension between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, but Paul thought, if I take all this offering that I've gotten from the church at Macedonia and Achaia and Philippi and, and Corinth, and I take it back to this Jewish Christian church that's going to go a long way if they know that the the Gentiles love for Christ is ever a bit as strong as the Jewish believers love for Christ then they're going to see a unity and they're going to be united more than ever and Paul wanted that bridge between the two groups of people or that division to be bridged between the two groups of people and so I think Paul definitely saw the unity of the church as an extremely important goal in his ministry. More important at that time than going to Spain. Than going, for, than going to Spain. So while unity was important to Paul, he had other reasons for going as well. Galatians 2, 9 and 10. This was at the very beginning of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and recognizing the grace that had been given to me James Cephas Peter we'll call him Peter James Peter and John who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised so he was going to the Gentiles James, Peter, and John were going to preach to the Jews. Next slide. They asked us, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So, whenever he met with James and John and Peter and said, Look, do you guys mind if I start preaching to the Gentiles? They said, No, no, go ahead, but don't ever forget those who are in need. Don't ever forget the poor. And so this whole last journey that Paul took and this collection that Paul was taking was a fulfillment of his promise to James, John, and Peter whenever they said, go out there, preach to the Gentiles, but don't forget the poor. Moreover, this is James's church. This is James's church in Jerusalem. So. Paul had an individual obligation or so he felt to go and help the poor in Jerusalem at that time to see to it that they were were cared for in a very special way. I think it's a calling for every Christian, right? I think it's a calling for every church that that is one of our priorities, just like unity is a priority, and we spent a great deal, many weeks on unity, hopefully that's all clear as mud, but also caring for those who are in need, whether it's their health, and here we're seeing food and finances, whatever the case may be. It's not just my job, it's not just the elder's job, it's the entire church's calling and job to care and provide for those who are in need. The Jerusalem church hadn't wasted resources. There was a famine in the land. They were dealing with tough times. And so you had the love of God being shared throughout all these other churches, and they were going to share that with the church in Jerusalem. Back to Romans. from Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a, congrega- a contribution For the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So there was an offering, as I've said, that was taken from Macedonia and and Achaia, and I'm almost certain it came from other churches as well, but he doesn't mention those churches as well. In 2 Corinthians um, 8 and 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's telling them, You've been blessed in so many ways, I expect you to give when I get there he always followed his letters and so he wrote second Corinthians I think well he might have been in Philippi and had had somebody take the letter on down there and said look I'm coming and in that letter he's like I'm taking up an offering and you all have been blessed in every way in wisdom and finances and you name it and so I expect you to give and I'll be there in a few months and I expect to see something from you all but he told them Give just what you can give. Don't give more than what would be reasonable. Don't make yourself starve in order to give. But nonetheless, while other churches no doubt gave, he only mentions Macedonia and Achaia here. Verse 27. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. So we see the hearts of the churches of Macedonia and Achaia whenever they were giving. They were pleased to do so. We are to give with a cheerful heart. And that's what he told the Corinthians. Give with a cheerful heart. When we give to those in need and it truly helps them, it does something inside that words can't really describe. When you see somebody that's truly in need and you give to them and it helps them, it is encouraging to the giver. And that's what happened with these churches that gave. It was a wonderful blessing that they got to help and they wanted to help. If you remember the church in Macedonia, Paul was just kind of traveling through there. And the church in Macedonia, they were struggling themselves They were going through a great, one translation calls it ordeal of affliction, they were going through a great trial where they were struggling to put food on their own table. They were suffering in many respects and he didn't want to collect anything from them. He did not go to Macedonia with the intent to collect anything from them. But what did they do? They would not let him leave without them giving. And in fact, Paul says they gave more than what they could afford to give. He told him, he's like, You guys have your own to worry about. We know you're struggling. Like, no, they weren't going to hear of not giving to this church in Jerusalem. They gave more than what he even wanted them to. They gave beyond their means, this is exactly what the Bible says. They knew and understand that the blessings of God, the blessings that they would receive from giving, far outweighed any type of suffering that would be caused by the giving. I'll repeat that. They understood that the blessings that they were going to receive by giving far outweighed any suffering that they were were going to incur, incur by giving. So they gave, and gave beyond their means. It's the same sort of idea we see in Hebrews 12. When Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross for what? The what set before him? The joy set before him. When we give, the Holy Spirit puts within us a sense of joy. Great joy. And that's the way it is whenever we serve God. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. The Macedonians gave beyond their means for the joy that was to come. When we can understand that, when we can see that, that has life-changing implications. When we are willing to put ourselves in a place of suffering knowing that when we get through that suffering, there is great joy that's going to come, then we are shaking free of the grasp of this world. And that's how we know that we're doing it. Christ suffered a great deal. He suffered a great deal, not only physically, but spiritually, dealing with the sins of mankind and and everything else that was going on but he knew that that was temporary he knew that that suffering was not eternal and he knew that there was going to be great joy when that passed and so it was with the macedonians when they gave they gave knowing that the joy that was coming far outweighed any type of pain that they were going to suffer through says also and they are indebted to them the macedonians and the Achaians were indebted to the church in jerusalem how were they indebted to the church of jerusalem well if you remember back in chapter 11 paul tells the gentiles at rome he said you're now part of the same olive tree but you weren't of the true olive tree you were grafted in the Jewish believers were the, the original olive tree. It was the Jewish believers that was the foundation of the faith that then came to the Gentile believers. So in that sense, they were indebted to the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. In that sense, we are indebted to the Jewish Christian church. The Jewish believers. Now, don't get all out of whack, because I talked about it whenever we were in chapter 11. The Jews today that are in Israel, the non-Christian Jews that are in Israel, are ungodly. They have rejected the Messiah, okay? That's not the indebtedness that Paul's talking about here. Jewish believers in Christ, as we are, we are grafted in. We are now the true Jew, as we saw defined we have a great debt that is owed to that original trunk of Jewish believers that accepted and embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on the fruits, I will go by way of Spain to you. So, we see that Paul has rearranged his whole priorities or his whole set of priorities he tells them that once he travels a thousand miles there and a thousand miles back then he's going to stop by on his way to Spain this passage I hope does a good job of helping us understand that we need to be a little bit flexible when it comes to our ministries because God can call us in a direction that we don't necessarily think or desire that we want to go. You know, Paul had in his mind that he was going to Spain through Rome. But then all of a sudden there was a, a great famine in Jerusalem. And he knew that above all things that he needed to provide for those who were in need. And so he took a time out in what he desired to do. I have no question in my mind, his biggest desire was to get to Spain. But he knew that there was an obligation as a Christian to the church in Jerusalem. And he did that, was going to fulfill that. And it wasn't some small obligation. It wasn't as if he gave up two hours for four nights through the week at Bible school, which I grumble enough at. He traveled 2,000 miles on foot to fulfill that obligation to make sure the people at the church of Jerusalem had food to eat. That's a lot. That's dedicated to the cause of Christ and to his people and to his church. So, you know, sometimes when we get pulled a different direction and, and... maybe it's our day and maybe we've got our day planned and we're thinking this is how it's going to go and something pops up and changes that, then we're all happy about it, right? You want to see Grouchy? Let Scott have a day planned with everything figured out and then some type of wrench get thrown in the middle of it. Think about that wrench causing you to have to go 2,000 miles on foot. Paul's never complaining in any of this, is he? It is a joy set before him that he is enduring this hardship of travel for 2,000 miles, knowing that there is going to be great joy whenever he sees those people at Jerusalem get the food, the money, whatever it is that they need to be able to flourish. I think we lose sight of that. We lose this notion that there is joy at the end of the suffering, and that's a promise from God. Instead, we focus on the suffering and not look ahead at the joy. So as we go forward, let's try to remember whatever the suffering may be. Let's look over that. Look over the suffering and look for the joy that God has promised that awaits us all. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for the dedication that that Paul had to your church in so many different ways, uh, to provide for those in need, to um, help teach the churches and establish the churches, and to preach the gospel to those who have never heard that. Father, help us to mimic ourselves, help us to look at this as a blueprint that Whenever you call us to do something, that it may cause us to endure some momentary affliction or momentary suffering. But we know in our hearts, as we reflect on this passage and so many more, that the joy that's going to come afterwards is much greater than any type of suffering or pain that we have to endure in the interim. We pray your Holy Spirit would sear that in our hearts and minds, Lord, because whenever we get in the middle of that suffering, that suffering seems to be the only thing that we can think about. But Lord, we ask that you remind us in your still small voice that Jesus did not count equality with you as a thing to be grasped. But he left heaven to come to earth, and he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Let us remember that beautiful example, and let us, to the best of our abilities, try to mimic that in all things. Father, we pray that you're glorified this morning, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing the final hymn.